I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. All right, welcome to Understanding Jesus Podcast. I'm, I'm here with Pastor Troy and our yes. guest Evan again. Yeah. Evan is back. Round two. Back. We got so much mail, so yeah. much support. So much fan mail. And so much fan mail. Loving Evan. Everybody's <laughs> like, bring Tuesday. Evan back. Bring Evan back. Yeah, so here he is. He's back. Yeah. Um, well, do you want to give us a summary? Yes, Troy, today, since we already know who Evan is, we will go over what we are going to be talking about today. And uh, we are going through... Um, all of, uh, well, we're in Jeremiah. Uh, it'll be Jeremiah 23 through, and, and really maybe before, a little bit before Jeremiah 23, but Jeremiah 23 through uh, Jeremiah 35. And then we're in Psalm 119, which just continues on and on and on. Psalm 27, I mean, Proverbs 27. And then uh, we'll also be looking at First Thessalonians and also First, uh, no, sorry, Second Thessalonians and First Timothy. So 1 Timothy is really the the where we're probably going to spend quite a bit of time. So, uh, But we're going to come back and we're going to do some devotional um, ideas, uh, things we got out of the reading this week. Uh, and we, we kind of been off a little bit, so we may go backwards a little bit in October reading plan but uh, to get us all caught up. But uh, but anyway, we have some questions to address, so it's, it's a big big program. Yeah, so, it's going right. to be fun. Going to be fun. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. We're going to yeah. talk about the devotional segments. Let's start with uh, Evan. Evan. That's me. What so, stood out to you this week in the reading? So I really, so this is actually from last week. Okay. But, um, so this is in Jeremiah 29 through 32 is the one I have listed here, but it's the whole section. It's a, it's mostly just about, um, you know, forgetting for, forgetting God and just um, forgetting that he is here for for us. And um, so um, Jeremiah uh, 2.29 says, Why do you bring a case against me? All of you rebelled against me. This is the Lord's declaration. I uh, struck your struck down your children in vain. They will not accept discipline. Your own sores devoured uh, your prophets like a raging lion. Uh, 31. Uh, evil generation, pay attention to the word of the Lord. I have been a wilderness to Israel or a land to a dense darkness. Now, why do you, my people claim we, we will go where we want? Uh, we will no longer come to you. Can a young woman forget her jewelry or a bride her wedding sash? Yet my people have forgotten me on, for countless days. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop there. So I, I thought that that verse was interesting. Um, and it um, not because it was the young woman compared to, you know, young man, which well, I am. Um, but it's um, more just because it it's saying, you know, I thought it was interesting that they used that analogy just because we um, – we're not going to forget certain things that we care about. And if we care about God, then we're not going to forget about him, um, especially whenever in need or not in need. Um, so, and it's just, um, if we read on, uh, actually, I think that's really all that I want to go over there. But okay. well, yeah. cool. Very good. Very cool. I love Jeremiah. Yeah. And, yeah. and mine's from Jeremiah too. Jeremiah. I, I, it is, uh, well, I'm in Jeremiah 29. Nice. And uh, Jeremiah 29, and I'm going to connect it to the next day's reading. Which was First um, Timothy chapter two, yeah. So 
Oh. Uh, this is, uh, yeah. And remember, I said that I really love it when it happens when you're reading and you have a reading from one day, or sometimes the readings are in the same day, but you read something in the Old Testament, and then there seems to be a direct correlation to something that's in the New Testament. Right. And this is from Jeremiah 29, in uh, verse uh, 5. Uh, he says, For this is what, uh, well, no, back up, back up, back up, back up. Back up. Um, he says, verse 5, build houses. Well, let me back up to verse 4. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For when it thrives, you will thrive. And uh, and this is uh, something I, I'm, I'm kind of going back to. A, when Jesus said that I came to bring... I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Oh, yeah. uh, we were talking about that in a message that way. I, and I was, I think I made a comment about a song, uh, Do You Hear What I Hear? I'm going to have to go back and listen to it because if I did make the comment I think I made, I'm going to have to go back and recant that comment. But I was saying where the king says, pray for peace, people everywhere. I, I think I made a comment that that's actually not what Jesus was saying. But uh, the truth is, is that the Bible does say, in, right here in this passage, to pray for peace, people everywhere, um, that you are supposed to be praying. That Jeremiah is saying uh, that uh, here's what God wants you to do. Judgment is coming. You're going into exile, but while you are in exile, uh, still continue to be faithful to the Lord. Have your children get married. Uh, you get married, have children, have your children get married and build houses and so forth. Continue on to be, and, and pray for the peace of the city and, and basically be good citizens. And that and that theme is also still in the New Testament, and First Peter deals with that about being good citizens. But also, as Paul writes his letter to Timothy, uh, he says something very specific uh, in that regard in First Timothy chapter two, which was the next day's reading. Um, and he said, if I can find it real quick, because I got so many comments in my Bible, it's hard to find the actual text. It says, first of all, in chapter two, verse one of first Timothy, he says, first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for Kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good. And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And how appropriate in this election cycle to to see a verse like this, because, you know, when people are like, who should we vote for? Really, your vote, one, needs to be very prayed through, needs to be something that you feel absolutely what God uh, calls you to do in, in voting. But But it doesn't end with the vote. Uh, so often we look and think we're voting for this guy or we're voting for this party. And then if this party gets it, this is going to be the result. And if this person gets it, this is going to be the result. But really, you know, when you put a person, the human factor is all the human equation is always present. People are not always consistent with who they are. And it's important to remember that when you're praying, no matter who gets elected, you then pray for that person who is then empowered in that office for God still to accomplish his will. It's not like God's in heaven going, oh my goodness, that guy got elected. Now I'll never get to do what I wanted to do. And all my plans are thwarted and foiled because of that. It doesn't work like that. We still continue to pray for peace. We still pray for God's kingdom to come, for God's will to be done. And we are asking God for the, for the, for our 
our society, for our governmental system, for everything to work together in such a way that gives us the greatest opportunity to do what he has put us here to do, which is to communicate the gospel to people, to expand the kingdom. Think of it like this. We are, we are trying to build home. We're, when we become regenerated, when we experience the redemptive grace of Christ, we are given a citizenship in a new world. And we are waiting for our king to come back and to take us to this new world. So for the time being, we are like the exiles in Babylon in Jeremiah's day. We are, we are, we are in this place. And so while we are here, we occupy until he comes. So we, as ambassadors for Christ, we simply just, we build homes, we get married, we have children, and we pray for the leaders and authorities who are here over us, that God would use them to bring about his purposes and his plans for his greatest glory so that his kingdom uh, will be magnified to its greatest degree. But I think it's so important for us as believers to understand that it's not like we will pray for one president, but we won't pray for another. No, we, we, I think you, you vote and you, and you vote according to your conscience. You vote according to what the leadership of the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. And then you trust the results to God and whatever results come about, then you pray for those people who are then put in power and pray that God's will will continue to be done. And uh, because just because, and I think we've seen this. And we've experienced it over and over again. Just because you think this person gets elected that it's going to solve everything, that has never happened. You don't. We have elected people, and it's like, oh, well, that's not the person I thought they were going to be, or they didn't do what I thought they were going to do, because there is that human equation. But what? So our prayer is always the same. God, no matter who gets elected, God, may Your kingdom come, may Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, mm. yeah. Awesome, Daniel. Timely, timely message there. Um, all right, so I'm gonna. Man, I've got I've got a couple things I want to do in Jeremiah, and I know we've got a lot of great New Testament stuff to look at, but I, I, I I'm gonna stick with Jeremiah. Do it. Continue here. Um, Jeremiah 31, um, in verse nine. Just think it has just this awesome, uh, kind of panoramic view of who God is, um, and it's it's talking about um, the Lord bringing people back, and this Jeremiah is just constant back and forth, like. You're gonna die. You're gonna. I'm gonna like put all this judgment on you if you don't turn back to me. So turn back to me, and if you do that, then I'll do this. And it's like this back and forth tug of war. And this is um, the tug towards like if you will, if you will turn back to me, I will restore you. Kind of moment. Hmm. And um, in verse nine, or kind of verse eight and nine, eight kind of says, Hey, I'm gonna bring everyone back, even like the blind and the lame. I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna. Bring them all back. And in verse 9, it says, They'll come weeping, but I will bring them back with consolation. I will lead them to um, Wadis, which is... A, Driver of a bend. Yeah. Um, wa- like, Wadis filled with water by a smooth way where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Um, and and I, I saw... I, picked, I, I don't know why I centered on this, but I saw several things in each line. It says, They come... They will come weeping is the first line of verse nine, and so I see that God works in our brokenness. Um, and but I will bring them back with consolation. And as I saw, His method is relational. He works in our brokenness, and His method is relational. It says I will lead them to um, to water by a smooth way where they won't stumble. And I saw that His sovereign way is good; that He leads us to good things uh, when we're following Him. Um, and His motive um, is is his deep care for his children. He says, the reason, why am I doing this? For I am Israel's father. Mm. Not because 
you know, God talks about his glory a lot, and that's all great and amazing. He talks about his purposes, which are great and amazing. But it, why am I going to lead you to these good things? Hmm. Because I'm your father, because hmm. I love you. Uh, and and that's great. I mean, in Jeremiah, that's like a breath of fresh air, um, just to see God's like blatantly stated concern and love for his people. Hmm. Um, it's just so good. And it has. it's like... It's just this tender moment, I feel like, in this verse that God gives um, gives his, his people. So, um, anyway, that's one of my Jeremiah things. I'll, I'll cede the floor at this time that's right. to the representative back from SEMO. Back, back, mm-hmm. back to heaven. So, okay, mine's um, kind of more food for thought than a devotional yeah. or profound thought. But, um, anyway, so I was, I was looking at Second um, Thessalonians 2. Um, Paul's talking about... Um, People seeing the second of the coming of the Lord um, coming around the corner, and uh, just they they think that, um, and I think we look at it now, and it's it's almost kind of humorous because you know we're we're in you know nearly two thousand years later or nineteen hundred or whatever years later, and we are um, we still have people who or we Lord, Lord still hasn't come back, and at this point in time uh, people are thinking they missed it, so I'm, I'll just read from that part. Um, now concerning the coming of our Lord uh, Christ Jesus and our uh, and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily upset in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by message or by letter, as if from us, uh, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in, that, in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Uh, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's sanctuary, publicizing that he himself is God. Don't you remember when it was still when I was still with you? Uh, I was still with you. I told you about this and uh, you know what currently restrains him so that he will be uh, revealed in this time for the mystery of the of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who is uh, but the one now restraining will do. Uh, so until he is out of the way, um, I'm going to go ahead and stop there. So anyway, I, I saw it was interesting. Um, you know, I, I hear people now talking about the second coming of the Lord. It seems like it's right on the corner. We see things in revelation that seem to be coming to, um, coming to, to play. And, um, um, we, we talked about these things we were talking about on Tuesday. We were talking about the, um, kind of the end times, things like that. Um, what's around the corner and um i think it's interesting i think this still applies for us today you know we're, we're worried about you know the end times and things like that and in 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 my mind paul is just kind of telling us you know don't worry about it you mm-hmm. are going to miss it you are if you're in christ don't worry about it at all just go share continue doing the work um in our case sharing the gospel with their case too and just just moving forward with that don't worry about the end times so yeah and, well, and, and he does, because uh, this is one of the verses I highlighted this week too. Was um, that's all yours? Uh, no, you just do it. Uh, uh, but it was, uh, but it was, it was, uh, it's a powerful one because it does uh, help us to remind us also that there is that there is a testing that's involved. That there is going to, there's going to be, there's going to be a falling away, and that many people are going to be led astray. And and it's Paul is sharing that with to the Thessalonians and also with us that it's an encouragement that we have to stay connected in the word that we have to be grounded in the truth and understanding or else uh, we will be easily deceived we'll be, we will be easily drawn away uh, and and you and you see that happen even now even while I don't think the man of lawlessness is on the scene or that he has been uh, revealed 
Um, but that, uh, uh, but there will come a time. I mean, it's, when people say, "I don't see how we could ever be drawn astray into into believing this person," you know, if, if they were not of God or whatever, and it's like we see that happen all the time. We see people change on a, a very quickly, change their whole idea about. Our, our, we see these massive cultural shifts where our society upheld these truths for for centuries and then all of a sudden we just go in in a week or it seems it's just a, a shift and it's like okay now we're, we're not going to believe that anymore yeah. you know and uh, it, i mean just gender issues you know that a man is a man a woman is a woman these are things that you would thought would not have ever been touched on or right. or dabbled with yeah. i mean that god clearly created us and made man and made women and we all understand how biology works and gender works and then people come along and it's like no 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 that's you don't understand what gender is you understand what this is and it's and people choosing identity and so forth and it's like wow i didn't think that was even on the table for discussion and not only did people start talking about it, but we shifted our entire culture to adapt to that without mm -hmm. ever really thinking, is this even right? We just mm -hmm. said, it is right. And so everybody just, and everybody, and then it was like people were getting fired or losing their jobs or being shunned or whatever, if they took any other point of view or whatever. And and now you see clearly, there will come a time when the church will stand on its own, on the fundamentals of the faith, because we will not, because we are not given the liberty to say, okay, we're not going to believe the Bible anymore. We're not going to, we're not going to believe that's what it says, because it says what it says, and we uphold those truths. And we, and we, if we are going to interpret it literally, and there is a, a movement to not take, uh, you know, in, in critical theory, that we don't take things literally anymore. Yeah. And so, uh, and, well, and so that, go ahead. You're good. Uh, well, oh, sorry. The, well, the, the Bible used to be the kind of the standard for our, our yeah. government and things like that. And we're getting to a point now, kind of what you're saying, we're just getting to a point where um, where the Bible isn't the standard of living anymore. Um, you know, right. the Judeo-Christian beliefs aren't the, aren't the standard for everyone. They're just a standard for the Christians. So I think we're going to get to a point, you know, you're talking about people getting fired for from their jobs and things like because, that because it's not just that it's that i don't believe the bible anymore it's that people are seeing the bible as being hostile toward them yes and if we practice what the bible teaches well then we are hostile and and being labeled this and say oh you're this now and they put a label on you and say you're mm -hmm. that and now it's like oh and that's bad everybody thinks it's bad mm -hmm. it's a, it is it is set up a, a place where a person could step into our world and, and that man of lawlessness who upholds these cultural truths that people are holding these, well, they're not really truths, but mm -hmm. these cultural ideologies. And this, uh, basically, this, we always talk about the new world order idea. And, and people just jump onto it. If he gives them what they want, or what they want to hear, if he empowers their independence, then they will empower him with mm -hmm. as much strength or power. I mean, right now, I think that our culture would empower any person who gave them what they, if he could promise and they believed that he would give them what they wanted, they would give them absolute power. Mm. And, uh, and that's a really scary place to be. Well, and we're, we're more driven. Um, and if, if we look back on a hundred years ago, most people were driven by, and their, their beliefs and things like that were driven by things that they, they knew to be fact. And, mm. and, you know, whether it was written or, or history or their, or their family tradition. And it seems like now a lot of people's, um, Things that they believe are based off emotion and, and how they feel about different situations. Um, for instance, they've had, um, I mean, even if you look at the, and no matter how you stay on this, but if you look at the ma marijuana laws, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it, it doesn't matter, the opinion of that doesn't matter. What, what matters is that the, um, I watched a lot of my friends that went, uh, were changing their opinions and it was, it was based off of, you know, 
but their their family members or friends that they had that had used it and it helped their case. Right. Um, and it wasn't even uh, it wasn't based off of fact that they had found on the internet. And whether it is or not doesn't matter. The issue is that they they were following the beliefs of other people. Right. And they could be easily persuaded to, yes. to, to go that a different yes. direction. Yeah. Because there's no like you said when you take away when you say why do you believe this. And it just comes from some internal sense of right and wrong. Well, that's mm -hmm. easily changed. Yeah. I mean, we are very fickle people. And, yeah. and obviously, I don't think the same way I did. But, I mean, the, what the Word of God gives to us is it gives us a fixed point. It gives us mm -hmm. this because we believe it's revealed truth. It's not mm -hmm. something that I've interpreted as truth. That is, mm -hmm. I was incapable of understanding truth, and yet the Bible reveals this is what truth is. Mm -hmm. And so I base my understanding of truth on that fixed point. Yeah. Um, well, very good. And, and, and something else from First Thessalonians chapter 4. And this is one of those things, again, where it was one day reading the New Testament, and then there was something in the Old Testament. I know I, I, I act like that's it's just cool to me when the days, either same reading kind of connects in the same way on the same date or uh, one day after another. And this was from First Thessalonians chapter 4, and it said, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That hold you up, hold up, hold up. You mean the Bible actually tells us God's will? For our life. <laughs> the boom, right oh, there. Right in, for this for years. Right. Right, go on. That's right. Here it comes. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no, and, and that means like the Gentiles who don't know God, <laughs> uh, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. There was a, something, uh, Oswald Chambers is somebody I read for years and had a book, a uh, devotional book his wife actually put together of his writings called My Utmost for His Highest. And something that he says in there, he admonishes us not to hope for sanctification, but to be sanctified. That is a transaction with God based on the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he says that we need to that we need profound, humble holiness, a holiness based on agonizing repentance and a sense of unspeakable shame in order to experience the sanctification we've been made for. Um, there's a, a, And then the next day, in the next day's reading, there was something from Psalm 119, one of my favorite passages in Psalm 119, as a young man, because it says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Okay, oh, let me not one, I said, okay, it's oh, oh, let me not wander from your commandments, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. And that, that was one of the things when I was young, and, and you hear Paul saying, you need to be sanctified, you need to walk in holiness, you need to be morally pure, you need to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. It's like, how do you do that? And you go back to the psalm, and the psalmist answers that by keeping it according to his word and uh, with my whole heart seeking him and hiding in my heart uh, his word. And that began, that, that helped me to understand that by reading his word and, and every time I come to places where Paul says things like flee immorality and, 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 and different places where it talks about think, you know, whatever you think on, this is how you think and taking your thoughts captive. All, there are so many parts of the word that help contribute, putting on the full armor of God in Ephesians 6, so many aspects of God's word that are all there to help give us victory over these things that everybody struggles with. 
so he's, so he's asking us to be sanctified, but he doesn't leave us powerless. Uh, he gives us the ability to do that which God has called us to do. So anyway. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, this is really brief, but um, it's we have this pet peeve, at least I have this pet peeve, of um, verses out of context. Hmm. So I couldn't pass up Jeremiah 29 because um, it's just like the greatest opportunity for for, to point out um, this this thing that I actually something that's taken out of context. Yes. Or you're gonna take it out of context. Uh, no, that is generally. <laughs> I see it on mugs and T-shirts and graduation announcements and all this stuff. Okay. Um, and it's um it's a great verse, um, but I think it's better when you know when you know the context of it. Um, Jeremiah, as we've mentioned, is not a book where good things happen. You know, mm. God promises to exile Israel only a million times in this book. Um, and Jeremiah 29 is no exception. Um, and Jeremiah 29:11 is a verse that people put on their walls and tattoo on their arms. And um, if you've tattooed it on your body, I hope that you complete it and feel good about it. Um, but um, in, uh, we, most of us know this, this passage. It says, For I know the plans I have for you. It says, The Lord plans for your welfare, not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That's what the HCSB says. Mm. Some people memorize it a different version, but basically, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, okay? Right. A lot of people cling to that verse. What we don't see, um, and at first glance, is kind of a bummer, in verse 10, the verse right before it, it says, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are complete, I will attend to you, and right. will confirm to my people my promises. So, a whole generation will go by, hmm. where they're in exile, and they will not receive this promise from God. This promise is for a later generation, and uh, so when you say, I know the plans I have for you, it's, it's better. I think it's richer mm-hmm. when, you're, when you trust God enough to say, your promises are cosmic in scale. Mm-hmm. And maybe th- I, I claim certain things. Maybe I expect everything to be about me and everything to be about my scenario. But if you can take verse Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11 and on to 14, um, you can... You can see like that you're part of a much bigger, pl- much bigger plan and picture, and that God's doing things through you that will last beyond you, um, and and that that can give your life way more meaning than yeah I'm gonna take you out of this little situation that you find yourself in, to yeah. I get to play a huge part in God's plan for the ages, mm. and that's that's exciting to me. That gives me further hope, deeper hope than that God doesn't want anything bad to happen to me. I think we see in scripture that that's not the case. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I, I like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm just sick in that way. But <laughs> no, well, obviously it's God's word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not bad. Um, and, and I think God's word's meant to give us hope. In its, in his context. Yeah. In its context. It's more powerful right. in his context. It's more powerful. And yeah. if we cheapen it, then we're, well, yeah. we cheapen it. I, when you said 2911, I glanced down and I was looking at 3011, which says, I will discipline you justly and I will by no means leave you unpunished. <laughs> I thought, wow, Oof, that's, harsh. I don't know what context you're looking at that, <laughs> yeah. but I'm not putting that on my wall or, or I might put it on the wall. I should have put yeah, it on the wall when my kids were little. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that was actually my first question was about that one. Yeah. Um, well, but I'll have that in the questions. Well, that's the next section. Yeah. Oh, well, next section. We're doing questions. We'll be right back.
Okay, we're back. We're gonna do question and answer segment. We've got kind of a shotgun thing, and boom, 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 boom. Um, Evan's got a few. Evan's questions. got questions. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. We're so. not have Daniel and I aren't making up our own questions and then yeah. giving our own answers, that's so right. that's even better. So go for it, Evan. Let's hear. Let's okay. hear. So, um, in Ephesians four nine to ten, I think this refers to the Holy Spirit, but I was okay. I was not sure if that's what it was referring to, and and how does this relate to this passage? So. Um, so it says, but what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Um, actually that's referring to Christ. Um, that is, uh, a, um, uh, really sometimes, um, sometimes it's understood to be, uh, his incarnation about Jesus coming to the earth and Mm -hmm. so forth. Um, others are talking about him referring to the proclamation of victory over to the evil forces of darkness after he died and so forth. Uh, that is a tough passage. So mm-hmm. uh, I, if I had more time, we would dive more into it. But your question was, yeah. is he talking about the Holy Spirit? And that answer is no. No, okay. he's talking about Jesus. That's so what I was curious that about. part is easy. So as yeah. to what that actually means, uh, that's that's another that's, another that's another question. That's we'll, okay. We'll deal with that I because to a certain extent for me, I it's. When you ask about Holy Spirit versus God versus mm-hmm. Jesus, which one is it in this situation? Right. It's it all has they all have the same role to a certain extent. They well they all have different roles. They have the same essence. So That's, so yeah. they are, so you're talking about yes, it is God. It's talking about God. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. and but uh, well, as far as the yeah. person of the Godhead that it's talking about in that passage is it is Christ. Christ. Cool. Yeah. Well, that that was my question. Um, we can dive into it if you want to. We have uh, we have let's, a little time. another question. We'll okay. Another so the the one question that um is a hot topic in these in these sections and uh, I think it'd be wrong for us to skip hot over topic. it. Yeah. So I think they're they're hoping to get. They're hoping to get Miss um, Judy in here for this question, but um, where are we? Yeah, First Timothy two nine to fifteen talks about women in ministry. I'll go ahead and pull it up and read it, and then. Well, you're already making an interpretation before we even get started. Oh, <laughs> it, presupposition. Presuppositions. Okay. That, well, that, that's what everybody knows it as. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, um, so I'll start eight, um, but. Um, in Second Timothy two. Yeah. Yes. So, second, First uh, Timothy. I'm sorry, First Timothy two, two nine to fifteen. Um, so, but I'm going to start in eight. Okay. Uh, the heading in mind is instructions to men and women. And so, uh, but the hot topic is the women ministry in this case. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah, I got it. Sorry. Okay. Presupposition. <laughs> yeah. There. Yeah. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with uh, good works as is proper for women who affirm that they worship God. Women should learn in silence with with full submission. Uh, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. For Adam was created first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith, love, and holiness with good judgment. This passage is one that uh, in seminary I tackled in a big way because I took a position that was not in agreement with my professor in the class. And so when you do that in seminary and you had to plead a case, uh, you have to be very good in your defense, and uh, and this is uh, this is this is not a, uh, a issue of unity within our understanding. But there are there are two different ways of understanding um, 
the role of role of men and women, <laughs> and and we call them egalitarian and complementarian. Egalitarian, just in a nutshell, is at the at when God created man and woman, He created them on equal terms, equal roles, everything being equal, uh, meaning they have uh, they are basically serve the same function. So in a perfect world, uh, men and women would there would be no distinction between roles. There would be no uh, attitude of submission, and in a complementarian. Point of view, even when, uh, even in uh, the um, the fall, uh, even before the fall, that Eve was created in submission to Adam, and this idea is that Jesus is in submission to the Father. So it's not that it's a a, a, a sinful understanding; it's that it's just that's according to God's order, He gave headship to the man, and He put uh, He put the wife in a role of submission. Now. Uh, this now that's one scenario, and I'm I'm absolutely complementarian, and uh, and believe that that those roles are biblical, and I think Paul expresses that that it was that when he talks about Adam and Eve that it's not a because of the fall women are to submit to their wives are to submit to their husbands, but rather uh, when he's talking in Ephesians five about wives submitting to their husbands that that's just the way God the order that God created, um, and uh, and and he gives the example. Of us submitting to the headship of Christ, that within the Godhead, uh, Jesus is in Philippians. He tells us that Jesus is submissive to the Father. So there's not, it's not a I'm lesser than because we know that Jesus isn't lesser than the Father. It's just His position in the Godhead is one of submission to the Father. So that being said, uh, in this passage, here's the here's the challenge in First Timothy because the word for woman and wife is the same Greek term. It's gune, and 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 some people will say, well, when the article is found, it means one, and when there's not an article, it means the other, and so forth. But that's not entirely true or consistent. It really comes down to context, and here is where I deviate from a lot of my peers, but uh, I just choose to deviate because uh, so I, I'm just I am, and so I'm. When you look at this passage, and let me let me read it to you again, but let me t- put husbands and wives because those are interchangeable words in the Greek. He says, therefore, I want the husbands in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the wives are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for wives who profess to worship God. A wife is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a wife to teach or to have authority over her husband. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the wife was deceived and transgressed, but she will be saved through childbearing. Now, if he was just talking about women, if he was talking about women, and so the reason why people will argue that they think it's woman instead or man and woman instead because he uses the the article a, uh, so uh, when he says a woman, but why is he talking about childbearing? I mean, because childbearing is a is a trait that would be reserved only for people in a marriage relationship according to Paul's teaching. And so mm-hmm. if he's talking about childbearing, if he's talking about Adam and Eve, the, he they're definitely husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And so it also bear, goes in line with the other things that he says in other places about wives submitting. He, he uses the same same Greek terms, so wives submitting to their husbands and so forth. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing that uh, I think sometimes gets glossed over. Why would another man have the authority over my wife? 
And, and why would she submit to his teaching? Now, I get it that in the church, my, me, as the head of my household, I'm submitting to the teaching or whatever of whatever overseer we have. But then I am responsible for being the spiritual leader of my own household. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that is much more in line with what Paul is trying to teach, not just here, but everywhere. And it, and it fits. It, it, it works within that context. So if you take that interpretation that a wife should be submissive to her husband. He's not talking about men being in authority over women in general, but rather husbands being in a place in a position of authority over their wives. Mm. This uh, still keeps in line because I, I still believe that men are to be the lead pastor of a church because uh, if they are married, uh, the, a wife could not ever hold a role of authority over her husband because then she would be the spiritual leader at church. And I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. He's saying at church, you go to church and you're undermining the authority of your husband at church when you are teaching and, and, and so forth. And then you come home and now how is he the spiritual leader at home if he's not the spiritual leader at church? And so to keep that authority from being undermined, he says, no, I don't, I don't permit a, a wife to teach her husband. Um, that's... Um, that's how I teach it. Now, if you take that uh, that point of view, which is interesting because in the CSB, in, in chapter 3, same word, in verse 11, it says, Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers. Some translations will say women must be worthy of respect, and so they'll make the argument that he's talking about that women can be deacons in that role. Well, I'm going to take the position that he's not talking about women being deacons. I'm thinking that he's talking about the wives of deacons, uh, which is what it says in this passage. I just get, I don't know, it irritates me a little bit. I think sometimes when we we have a predetermined bias in, in ourselves when we're looking at things, and and I and, and trying to pull away from that and saying okay if I took that predetermined bias away, um, and it was just my Greek teacher, uh, my Greek teacher did um, hold that same position, so I may have that same predetermined bias. Uh, but but he was Greek, and he said with full confidence that he absolutely could see that Paul was talking about wives instead of women, using that in context here. It just in the context of the way it's written, especially with the points of childbearing, using Adam and Eve as the illustration and so forth, it looks like he's talking about husbands and wives. And so when you understand it to be that, it it's not about women in ministry. It's about uh, about order within the home. So Cool. Cool, cool. You got one more. One more yeah. question? Yeah, everyone's right. do it. So, um, so this one's kind of short. So um, with 29-11, like um, – Kind of the same topic, but I kind of, I read online that um, this is one of the big backbones of the kind of the prosperity gospel um, church. You know what, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? Yeah. Okay. Um, where's I can read it again. Um, I, I guess I have a different version. For I know the plans I have for you, uh, declares the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And um, so I, I just kind of I, I'd rather that was in the prosperity um, churches are big in I guess Texas mostly. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, well, I mean, I think they're everywhere, but yeah. Yeah. There's there there is a big, a big one in one. Te- yeah. there's a big one in Texas. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you that. Well, there's the one with Joel Osteen, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the one with Kenneth Copeland and yeah, one other guy. Yeah, there are, and then there are some in California as well. So yeah. yeah, I don't know much about it. I was just curious. Yeah, we're not one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's not one here in Jackson, Missouri that I know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so you're just asking what was I don't um, know the specific it, question. Is that uh, is that a um, I, I'd read that online. I just wasn't sure. Oh, 
Oh, Daniel answered that I think very well in mm. in his dissertation on <laughs> yes on 29, 10, and eleven. Yeah. He is he's absolutely. I mean, if you want to talk about the prosperity gospel being that you may be in seventy years of exile <laughs> and yeah. suffering before God gives you his. I, I think uh, I think for us prosperity is something there is an essence to prosperity and that but we believe that prosperity comes at the return of christ that when he establishes his kingdom and puts everything in order that that is when our prosperity comes to believe that prosperity comes in this life is really to undermine the whole calling of christ and a calling to suffering and bearing your cross and so forth and not highlighting those things i mean the the apostles all were martyred for the faith and mm. uh, john exiled for the faith uh, and so you have uh, a great amount of suffering, a great amount of tribulation that the church has always endured. So to to take a route now and say basically in a in an affluent society that this is what God means for all of us is just is is very narrow narrow focused. I, and I've I've heard some prosperity preachers who have been uh, when they've seen or paid attention to what's happening in third world countries or where uh, Christians are being persecuted around the world that they've changed their point of view. I don't know I don't know those people and I don't know that that's actually what happened. But uh, but I hope so because I I know if you do travel and you do go to the church overseas and you see the suffering that a lot of the body of Christ endures. I don't think they're less faithful. Uh, I remember a, a, a time uh, there, there's a it was also being called health and wealth gospel, uh, and I remember there was a time that uh, somebody said that uh, Johnny Erickson Tata wasn't uh, it was her lack of faith that kept her paralyzed. They would tell people who were suffering from cancer that it was because of their lack of faith that they weren't healed. I think that that's what is seriously damaging to the body of Christ. Uh, that's just dangerous teaching. Um, one is heretical, but it's mm. uh, but it's very dangerous, and 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 that was something that actually hit close to home. We had friends that uh, that were told this, and she was, and they said you shouldn't allow any of your friends to come over unless they believe this, because their lack of faith is what's going to hinder your healing, and um, mm. and that's uh, you know that kind of teaching uh, again is just dangerous, and and um, and uh, yeah yeah I don't yeah so no it's it's not. Uh, it is definitely out of context when you take that Jeremiah 29:11 for your own welfare and and, and well-being. For, mm-hmm. If you put it in the terms of prosperity in on in this age, so. All right. Well. That's a lot. It is. We covered a lot of ground. Thank you, Evan, again for joining us. Yeah. Um, yes, and, uh, and hopefully we get some comments and no, some more questions. I can so just forth. feel them streaming in as we yeah. speak. So, um, yeah, hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Instagram, whatever you want, and we will see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you would like more information, you can find us online on our website at firstbaptistjackson.com. You can email us at daniel at firstbaptistjackson.tv. Or you can find us on social media, First Baptist Jackson on Facebook and FBCJMO on Instagram. We've got a lot of content in all of those places, and we would love to hear your questions on the content that we cover. If you would like to be a part of the podcast, you can email us and message us at any of those ways, or you can call the church office at 573-243-8415, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.